Heavenly Father, we thank you already for your presence in this place. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who has opened up the door for us to have a deep relationship with you. God Almighty, the creator of the universe, everything that there is that keeps everything going, you desire an intimate, personal relationship with each one. Lord, help us each to know that today. Help us not to think that you are too big, you're too great, you're too distracted, and our lives don't matter. For, Lord, you came in Jesus Christ for each one of us, to know each one of us personally, and you suffered for our sins so that we would not have to pay the price for our sins. So thank you, Lord, and help us each one to receive that, to receive your forgiveness, and to receive the relationship that you desire to have with each one of us through the word and through your spirit. So speak to us now, I pray. Speak to us now through the word of God and through this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're concluding today our series that we've been in for a few weeks, a few months, a couple of months on the mystery and the masterpiece. We've had a couple of breaks with a missions trip to Ireland. We're going to give you a report on our missions trip to Ireland and tell you a little bit about that ministry in a couple of weeks. Um, And then we, of course, had Easter Sunday last Sunday. So today we're concluding the series on the mystery and the masterpiece. And throughout this series, I have used terms like portrait and picture and masterpiece to illustrate what I believe to be this central truth. Jesus Christ will be eternally married to his people. And our earthly marriages, our temporary earthly marriages are intended to be the greatest illustration of that truth. And so we've got a wedding theme today. We're going to do something unique towards the end of this message. Thank you, Joyce, for helping us decorate and make it look like we were coming in for a wedding today. We did that on purpose. We wanted you to feel like you're coming to a wedding because you are. It's the wedding between Jesus Christ and his bride. I've had a number of people through the years that said, well, Jesus walked on this earth. Why didn't Jesus ever get married? He's going to, okay? He's going to. He's engaged right now. And he invites you to be a part of that engagement relationship. And so don't, don't turn your brains off and check out because you say, well, I'm not married or I'm not going to be married or this doesn't apply to me. No, this is not about earthly marriages. But it's about how earthly marriages are God's primary illustration of the kind of relationship that he wants with us. And so whether you're married or not, it applies to you because he invites you to be part of his bride. And because our culture is so sadly confused about marriage and sexuality in so many ways and in ever increasing ways, you now not only know what the Bible says, but if you've been a part of this series and you can go back and listen to the previous messages, You not only know what the Bible says, you know why the Bible says it. You know why the Bible designed marriage and sexuality to be the way it was. So that that if you enter into conversations with people about the differences in lifestyles and sexuality and marriage and preferences and all these other things, you don't have to just say, the Bible says, but in love you can say, did you ever think about why the Bible says what it says? And you can talk about the illustration between Christ and his church and anything outside of that doesn't paint the picture that Jesus painted for us to show us vividly the kind of relationship he wants to have with us. So that's what it's all about. And God's ultimate message in this work of art is love. 
God's ultimate message in this work of art is love, love for you. Now, it's a mystery. It's a mystery that has been hidden to many, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, but marriage is God's masterpiece to illustrate the greater reality of the relationship between Jesus and his people, the church. So again, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, the key verses for our series. Paul has said a number of things in this chapter, in this letter to a church, a group of Christians in Ephesus. He said a number of things about the roles of the husband and the roles of the wife. But then he comes down and he says this, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration. In other words, Paul's writing, and he says, okay, I've talked to you about what husbands are to do and how husbands are to behave and how husbands are to treat their wives in marriage, and I've talked to you about wives, and I've talked to you about how wives are to respond to their husbands in marriage, but, but it's an illustration. It's not just an illustration it's in my mind the greatest illustration it's throughout scriptures from genesis to revelation in the old testament god's the husband and israel is the bride in the new testament jesus is the bridegroom the church is the bride once you see it it's like i walked out i walked out of the restaurant last night and there's a car that looks exactly like mine you know once you get a certain car it's like you see oh there's a, there's a car just like mine there's a, you see them everywhere when you see this you begin to see it all throughout scripture this is the primary illustration. Our marriages on earth are the primary illustration of the kind of relationship God wants with us. So Paul comes to the end of all of this, and we do in-depth studies and write books on marriage based on this, but he says this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. In other words, for all I have written to you Ephesians about husbands and wives, it's not really about you. It's not really about you. It's not really about your marriages. It's about how your relationships are to be the illustration for the relationship that Jesus wants with his people. Now, I am not an art student, okay? I've used this illustration about the masterpiece and the painting and how, you know, we don't want to spray paint a can of spray paint on a Rembrandt or a Monet or something like that. I'm not an artist. I have trouble writing. They got, you got to that just a little early, okay? So hold off on that. You got to that just a little early. I'm not an artist. I have trouble writing my own name legibly. But I believe that when most artists put their paintbrush to the canvas, they intend to make a point. Pictures, paintings, portraits are rendered by artists who died many, many years ago, they are still today the subject of unending debate in university classes and art studies. They not only study the brushstrokes and the style, but what was the painter trying to say through his painting? What was his point? Why did he choose this lighting? Why did he choose uh, the coloring? Why is the subject's face the way it is? And is the Mona Lisa really smiling? That's the point of the next one. What do you think? Is the Mona Lisa really smiling? Well, maybe we need to zoom in a little bit. So let's go, let's zoom in. Is the, that's, that's been the subject of unending debate. Well, maybe, maybe uh, you know, there's a lot of people trying to figure out the answer to that question. Let's back off to the next slide. Look at that. Sharon, I had the opportunity to be there a few years ago at the museum in, in Paris where they have so, so many artwork. And the thing's really not that big. It's, it's, it's shockingly small, right? So, you know, I got a picture of me and then a zoom and then it's like, 
That's what it's like walking through that art museum. You're trying to look through all the phones of all the people taking pictures of all the various pieces of artwork. And some of the most famous pieces of artwork are there. But, but Da Vinci was trying to say something. I don't think anybody's ever really figured out what Leonardo Da Vinci was trying to say through that painting. But there is a clear point in the masterpiece that God painted. And the clear point is he loves us. He loves you. He wants to pour his love out on you. And the most often quoted verse in the Bible is the revelation of God's great love. John 3, 16, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so in a wedding service, typically it is said, who gives this woman to be married to this man? I have a question today. Who, who gave this man the son of God? Who gave this man the God-man to be married to this woman? Who gave this one to be married to us? And God says, I do. I do. Here's a beautiful picture. Genesis chapter 24, verse 67. Isaac, son of Abraham. Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife. And he loved her deeply. I think that there is a lot said there in just a few words. The way a great painting can say a lot with just a few brushstrokes. So, Rebecca was a gift to Isaac. She had been looked for. She had been sought after. Abraham had sent his servant on a long journey to another country with very valuable and expensive gifts to give to the family so that Rebecca would come and be Isaac's wife. A long journey at great expense, great cost, great energy took place to find her. And so, Isaac received her and cherished her. This is how husbands should see their wives. This is how Christ sees the church. There was an author who used this picture of Isaac and Rebecca in writing a book about marriage. It was called I, Isaac, Take Thee, Rebecca, Moving from Romance to Lasting Love. And in the book he said, Chivalry in love has nothing to do with the sweetness of the appearance. It has everything to do with the tenderness of a heart determined to serve. So the Apostle Paul wrote about this love that is tender and serving and this love that reflects the love of God to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 13, he said, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And again, that passage is often read 
at marriage ceremonies, but it's not limited to marriage love. It's it speaks of the love we ought to have for God. It's a reflection of the love God has for us. It's an, it's an exhibition of the love that we ought to have for one another. Now we've got to admit the fact that we're human, right? That we don't live up to this standard so well all the time. We are flawed. We are marred by sin. But Christian men, to be an example and an illustration of Jesus' love for his people, Christian men need to let the Spirit of God lead us in becoming more Christ-like, in loving our wives as Jesus loves the church. What does that involve? Not keeping a record of wrongs. Not keeping a record of wrongs. Not demanding our own way. Not being jealous or proud or rude. And Christian wives need to let the spirit of Jesus lead them in loving their husbands in the ways the scriptures describe the church's love for Christ. Again, not just for the sake of our marriages, but for the sake of the witness and illustration that God has called us to give to the world. So God is our creator and he created us. He created us as we are for certain roles. And these roles are intended to show the world the relationship that he desires with us because only through that relationship can any of us find our true meaning and purpose. Only in a relationship with Jesus. So in speaking to these God-given roles, the author went on to write in the book, he said, and listen to this, listen to this. He said, on one occasion, a press reporter challenged me by charging that Christians hold to a double standard Listen to me and think this through. Christians hold to it. The press person said Christians hold to a double standard when they say they are against racism, but at the same time are prejudiced against homosexuality. Is that not somewhat duplicitous? The press reporter chided. And the author said, I knew she was genuine in her concern. So I said, race. Now, listen to follow this. Race is a very sacred thing. It is the gift of God to each individual. It is something in which we had no choice or say. We were born with our ethnicity. It is not a culturally assigned quality. Therefore, it should never be violated. In the same way, sex is a gift of God to be treated with sanctity. We protect, and he's responding to the press person, we as Christians protect sexuality from being violated as much as we protect race from being violated. He said, it is you who have to explain to me why you treat race as sacred and at the same time desacralize sexuality. That is where the duplicity really lies. And he went on to say, the Lord who made us and knows our struggles, he comes knocking. And he knows the frailties that limit us in the battle. And he comes to offer us a different glimpse, a different strength, and a different path by which to live. That path places a noble value on sexual purity. Is it any wonder that a generation that has become profane of speech and violent in entertainment scoffs and belittles those who wish to treat a person's body as sacred? Sexual promiscuity is condemned in the Ten Commandments for the same reason murder is condemned in the Ten Commandments. It is the marring of the image of God. And our culture has gone farther with the confusion over this now more than any of us, I think, ever thought could possibly happen. 
But marriage is God's masterpiece. Marriage is his great piece of artwork designed to show the relationships that he wants to have with us. And again, it's not about us. And even if, even if, hey, you say, my marriage is not the perfect marriage, join the club. No marriage is the perfect marriage. Say, my marriage didn't work out. Listen, you are still part of a marriage that he desires. It's about this relationship, not so much this relationship. It can only be what the master painter painted. If, 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 if our lives in marriage and sexuality are going to portray, if we're going to be witnesses to the world of the relationship Jesus wants with us, then marriage can only be what the painter painted. So that should be cherished and highly valued and not cast aside nor ridiculed nor mocked nor substituted with anything else and it should be our desire to live that out before the world in my in our relationships so here is my prayer here's my desire for your marriage if you are married for your relationships i stated in the introduction of my book that it was not intended to be anti-anything or anti-anyone i didn't write the book or come up with these messages as a screed uh, hollering and pointing my finger and yelling at, at everything else that's going on outside of God's plan my desire is simply to share a viewpoint that I think has not been explained very well even in the church so my desire has not been to attack but to explain I feel sorry for those who don't see it I feel sorry for those who are looking for something outside of God's plan because they will never be fulfilled. I feel sorry for the confusion that some people feel as their eyes are blinded by the enemy to see what God really wants for them and for our culture. You know, there's a lot of shouting going on in the culture. A lot of people shouting at one another and shouting past one another. And there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of arguments. And sometimes we as Christians get caught up in that. And often we're talking past one another and we're yelling at one another but we're not sitting down we're not sharing together and we're not reasoning with one another in love and this is happening among those who call themselves christians because there are some who call themselves christians who have different views on this and rather than sitting down and trying to figure out really what the lord says to all of us there's just a lot of shouting and anger and pointing fingers and tagging people on twitter and he's wrong and can you believe he said this and we need to get him out of the pulpit blah 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 it happens as non-christians impugn the christians as us being intolerant hate-filled bigots it happens as christians angrily point out the sins in other people without expressing the truth in love and without an awareness of our own sins or humility for our own sins and often the truth is completely missed and love is completely missing so again one of the great purposes of this series has been to give us some things give us some knowledge give us some tools whereby we can just sit down talk have a conversation speak the truth in love and then leave it up to the holy spirit to do the work because nobody is going to get saved if we put them in ropes or chains and twist their arms and drag them to the altar we can't really even change anybody's mind. We can only give people the information that the Holy Spirit has given us. And then we pray and trust that the Holy Spirit will do the work that we can't do. Don't try to do the work that was given to the Holy Spirit to do. John chapter 16, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Too many Christians are trying to do the convicting. Too many Christians are trying to do the convincing. Speak the truth, 
but do it in love and then step back out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do his job. But I wanted to give you some truth that you could speak. So my prayer is that those who claim to follow Jesus will come to understand this biblical teaching of marriage and sexuality more fully so that we can explain why the Bible says what it says. Our job is not to just tell people, you're not supposed to do that. How many have ever tried that? Doesn't work very well, does it? We're going around, you're not supposed to do that. That's wrong, that's wrong. And how about this? I've got good news for you. What's the good news? You're going to hell. That's the good news? What's the bad news? <laughs> you know, we, we, we get it wrong in our approach. Speak the truth with love. Telling people not to do stuff is not enough. We have to get the why right. Why? At least that gives the one not yet following Jesus more information to process than a simple, well, God said don't. That's good enough. It's not good enough. Because God says so simply doesn't work very well in our culture today. That may be sad, but it's true. It just doesn't work. I also have a prayer for those who do not yet follow Jesus. And I pray for those who have been pushed farther away from Jesus due to the nature of these arguments and sometimes due to the lack of information the information that I tried to give in the book and in the series and sometimes people have been pushed away by the downright nastiness and unchrist likeness of so-called Christians and I pray that those who are not yet following Jesus will receive this message thoughtfully and will understand that it is presented without anger and with a heart of love I pray I pray for those who claim to be followers of Jesus and yet they endorse practices the Bible does not condone. Because we have so-called Christian leaders that are promoting and accepting and condoning that which the Bible doesn't and so there's spray paint on the masterpiece. And I realize that they may have come to their conclusions honestly and with a desire to show love and acceptance for all people, yet they may have never heard some of what we've talked about in this series. So I pray the Holy Spirit will continue to reveal His truth to all of us in a greater way. But I also have a prayer for myself. I pray for me. I pray that I will be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus in my marriage. I want to play my part in this drama in the way he intended. I want people to see Jesus in me as I love my wife. And I want my wife to know the love of Jesus through the way that I love her in every detail. And I pray for forgiveness in all the ways that I have fallen short in that goal, which has been many. I'm a pastor. But as a pastor, there's times I often have the heart and the gifting of an evangelist. I always want to see more people come into a real relationship with Jesus. It's what Jesus wants. It's why God sent Jesus. It's why Jesus died. It's the whole point. The whole point of everything is for people to come into a relationship with Jesus. And sometimes it does seem to simply be a pressure to register higher attendance. Trust me, everywhere the pastor goes, somebody says, how's your church doing? And what they mean is, how many are you running? My uncle said, I'm not concerned with how many you're running. I'm concerned with how many you're catching. <laughs> but but it's like it's like the number is always the standard even some people just just they just blank somebody did this to me just a couple weeks ago just blankly say so have you got more people now than you had before 
That, that's like it's always the pressure. Yes, we want that to happen. But, but here, here's a question. We can say, oh, we have this many more kids going to camp this year than last year. Praise the Lord. We have this many more attending church this year than last year. Praise the Lord. We have this many more who are involved in small groups and this many more who are involved in leadership this year than last year. Praise the Lord. Here's something that no statistic, no number, no tracking will ever show you. How much more are we like Jesus this year than last year? <laughs> oh, Somebody, somebody's tell, here, here's what I need to do. Next time somebody says, how is your church doing? I'm going to say, you know what? This last year we've registered 33% more gentleness in the church. <laughs> See, that's part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? So that's what the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to come out of us. Yeah, yeah, okay. We, we have 24% showing more patience this year than last year. We have 14% more goodness. We have 18% more love and joy. We can't measure those things, but that's the real ultimate standard, is it not? But we, we face this pressure, and it's not just the pastors, all of us do. We want to see our church grow. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We want more people to come to Jesus. But, but pastors and church leaders are often trying to figure out what can we do to influence more people? What can we do to get more people to come to our services? What can we do to get more people to come to church and come to Jesus? And I confess that that pressure has sometimes affected me in ministry through the years. And I confess to, and, and everybody examine yourself, I confess to often trying to accomplish not only what I am supposed to do, but also trying to accomplish what only Jesus can accomplish. Sharon and I were talking about it uh, on the way in this morning. I, I, I'm getting better, but I, I, I'll be honest with you. And, and it, this is for all of us in every field, labor, endeavor, job, family, neighborhood, whatever. We, some of us don't. My dad says he doesn't. He probably is almost honest when he says it. But he's like, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I'm who I am. Who cares what anybody thinks of me? There's a couple ways he cares and what people think of him. Not, he may be, but, but for me, it's like I'm, I'm still, I, I have to almost daily have to push away the judgment factor. The judgment factor, you know. Whether we preached good, whether we had good worship, whether we too long, too short, too hot, too cold, you know, whether, whether our numbers are up and what people think of this and what people think of that. And, and I go home and I said, did I say something wrong? And I look at the video and I think, did, did, did they take that right or was that misunderstood? And on and on and on and on and on. We need to come to the place, folks, where we do what we are called to do and we let Jesus do what Jesus is called to do. So one morning... I found myself praying, and I was, I was thinking about this marriage illustration that we've been talking about for the last couple of months as I was praying, this, this illustration of marriage that God has given us, and we've, we've gone pretty deep with some pretty intimate things over the last couple of months, and so I was thinking again while I was praying about how marriage is God's picture. It's his greatest picture, I believe, of the kind of relationship that he wants to have with us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands as the church responds to Christ. It's temporary. Jesus said we're not going to be married in heaven. He said the Sadducees didn't understand the scriptures when they asked that question. But we're all going to be the bride of Christ. So, so everything about earthly marriage between a husband and a wife in covenant anything short of that is not the picture and every detail of it every detail of it is intended to show us and you can go back and listen to the previous messages we've talked about many of those so i was thinking about this and i was praying about this he called himself the husband 
And he called Israel the bride in the Old Testament. And when they worshipped other gods like Baal and Molech and Asherah, he lamented through the Old Testament prophets. He said, he said you have played the harlot on me. You have gone a whoring after other gods. He said, he said, you have committed adultery against me because the marriage and sexual relationship is the picture of the eternal reality. So when the Israelites worshipped other gods, he said, you have committed adultery on me. And in the New Testament, it is Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And this can only happen because of the covenant of his blood. There is no relationship without the covenant. So there's no picture of the masterpiece and the relationship without the covenant. So marriage as God painted it for us and the gift of sexual activity that he gave us in order for it to be pleasing to God and beneficial for us, it can only be in a covenant between a man and a woman. The male groom is the picture of Jesus. The female bride is the picture of the church. And a sexual relationship of any kind other than this does damage to a picture that God himself painted throughout the scriptures. So I'm praying one morning and thinking about all of this in my mind. And like a, like a willing, this is God's picture, like a willing bride desiring her husband to come in so that she might give birth and have a child. I found myself praying, come into me, Jesus. Come into me, Jesus. I invite you to come into me. Plant your seed in me so that new life can be born. We can think of all kinds of programs and all kinds of this and all kinds of that and promotion and marketing and invitations and outreaches and everything. And it can all be futile and infertile if Jesus, the husband, doesn't come into us. And produce his fruit in us. I want our church to be a lighthouse. I want our church to be a place where souls are saved. I want our church to be a place. This is part of my prayer. I want our church to be a place where new life is born. I want everyone in our church family to understand that God the Father gives us his son as our groom. And we are his bride. And when he joins to us with the Holy Spirit, the only thing that can happen is new life being born. So there's the pressure, not the pressure to do more, to witness more, to learn how to say it better, to have a better outreach, to do all of these. No, the pressure is, am I really opening myself up to Jesus? Am I really just, because if I open myself up to Jesus, if, if we as a church, we are the bride, if we together open ourselves up to Jesus and he comes into us, the only result that can happen is new life coming, new birth coming, people being born again, their lives being changed. So as followers of Jesus, sometimes we, we try so hard at getting other people to follow Jesus, and we make all kinds of efforts. And that's not bad. Marriages work too. We should work on our marriages. But it's, if it's only work, it's not a happy marriage, is it? But if we simply allow Jesus to come into us, if we'll experience the joy of him coming into us, new life will automatically happen. It can't not happen. So are you a follower of Jesus?
Have you entered into a relationship with him through the covenant of his blood? If you have, do you realize that makes you his bride? It does. And so you need to invite him to come into you often, often. Invite him to join with you often. Invite him to birth new life through you because simply the joining of him with us will create new life. It'll naturally happen. And if you are not yet a part of his bride, he invites you. He's proposing to you right now. And he doesn't force his way. He doesn't force his way. There are no shotgun weddings in the kingdom of God. He doesn't rape. He does not enter into someone other than through his covenant and their willingness. But he invites you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to join with you. He wants to become one with you. He wants to plant his spirit in you. He wants to give you new life and cause new life to be born through you. So here's... How I'm going to ask you to respond today. Let's stand together. So we stand here today in the presence of God. And the question comes as we've come to present ourselves before the Lord Who gives this woman to be married to this man? And it's God the Father who says, I do. And then God the Father says to his son Jesus, Son, do you take this woman to yourself in covenant by the blood that you shed for her? Do you commit to love her, honor her, cherish her, comfort her in sickness and in health, for better, for worse? For richer, for poorer, and forsaking all others, keep yourself only for her, for all eternity. And Jesus says, I do. And so now God the Father asks you, the bride. God the Father asks you, do you take Jesus to be your wedded husband? To live with in the covenant he established in his own blood. Do you commit yourself to love him, submit to him, and obey him, care for him and his cause in times of sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, and forsaking all others? Keep yourself only for him for all of eternity. And if you would make that commitment or renew that commitment today, I ask you to respond now with an I do. I do. So Jesus now goes on with his vows. We'll go on with ours in a moment. Jesus go on with his vows. Jesus says, bride, you are now one with me. Bone of my bones. Flesh of my flesh. I left my father in heaven to be joined to you as one. In you, I have found a good thing. I will love you and continue to give myself for you. And the bride responds with her vows. 
So if you would respond to Jesus, repeat after me. Jesus, entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou stay, I will stay. Jesus, your people shall be my people. Your God, my God, where you died is where my old life died. May the Lord judge me ever so severely if anything ever separates us one from another. If you made that commitment today for the first time or the first time in a long time, a couple of things. One, I would like you to let us know so we can pray with you and pray for you and help you. So you can you can let us know on that commitment card or uh, communication card that you're making that commitment today for the first time or the first time in a long time. But next, baptism is the wedding band of Christianity. As the couple exchanges rings in the ceremony, this is now an outward sign of my commitment to Sharon and her commitment to me. Baptism is the wedding band of Christianity. So if you have not been baptized, you need to seal this deal with that outward sign and with that outward profession. And a couple are going to do that in just a moment. And if you have not been baptized you need to make that public confession you can join them today say pastor i'll go home wet no we've got shorts we've got shirts we've got towels we've even got a hair dryer okay we remove all your excuses if today is the day for you to make a public confession of your faith in jesus we invite you to join these who have already come and are planning to do it you see as when the rings are exchanged a couple commits everything they have to one another. And in baptism, your whole body and your whole self goes down into the water in the commitment of everything you have to Jesus. Be seated again for just a moment. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together because often in a marriage ceremony, the one of the first things that happen, the worship team is going to come back Often one of the first things that happen is that when that couple makes their vows to one another and they exchange their vows, often in a wedding ceremony, they'll take communion together as their first act of following Jesus, recognizing Jesus as the center of their marriage and their relationship and taking Jesus into them to give them the life that he wants them to have. So those that I've asked to come and serve, would you come and serve? The worship team is going to lead us. You're going to be served the bread and the cup. You do not have to be a member of our church if you're not a follower of Jesus, this really doesn't have much meaning. But for followers of Jesus, again, this is where we take Jesus into us. We receive him into us like a bride receiving the husband. Just hold the bread and hold the cup until everyone has been served. And then we will, we will partake together. Let's worship the Lord together as we prepare our hearts for this special moment of communion.
Jesus' commitment. And we have returned our commitment back to Him. We now partake of the bread that represents His body that was broken so that we could be made whole. Let's partake of the bread. Thank you, Jesus. partake of the cup that represents his shed blood and this is the blood of the only covenant that can connect people to God so we receive this cup of his blood in Jesus name separated from him we were living an individual life and after entering into this covenant now we are one so just as in a marriage there is nothing you can do that doesn't affect your spouse in the new covenant there is nothing you can do that will not affect your relationship with Jesus to either damage it or enhance it so if you have entered into this covenant by the authority given to me by God, I declare that you are one with Christ. And what God has joined together, let no man tear apart. Amen. Worship team is going to continue to lead us. Myself and a couple others are going to slip back here and prepare for baptism in just a few moments. And again, if you want to make your public statement today as a follower of Jesus, we invite you to join us. We've got everything you need. Just slip right back here behind this banner over here that says more like Jesus and join us back here and we will have baptism together and celebrate new life in Jesus. So let's continue to worship the Lord. We get ready for a great celebration of people following Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Through many dangers 
Supper, and so we're joining with believers all over the world from all of the ages. But let me share with you a little bit about what Paul said to the Romans about the picture of baptism and what it really means and really represents. He said, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so, even as marriage is the picture of the relationship we've been talking about, baptism is also a picture. It's a picture that the old life has died, and a new life has come up. That the old life and the old sins are all washed away, and we come up clean and new in Jesus. And so, Jordan is going to come first. So, Jordan, why don't you just share why you are coming to get baptized today? Either 
of them speaking or giving me something to read for them and so Tammy chose that second option and she says everyone has a story I gave my heart to the Lord in the summer of 1974 at kids camp when I was seven years old I learned then once you give it to him he never lets you go we change but he never does no matter where life takes us through the twists and turns of life he is with us I am thankful Jesus never gave up on me. I would not be here today if he had given up on me and let me go. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Amen. Amen. Tammy, sit down there. Tammy, upon your profession of faith in the name of Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Rising. In the Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. God is good. Let's celebrate together. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. wedding would not be a wedding without a reception and so in the fellowship hall we have cake and punch so stay and celebrate the joining of ourselves with Jesus Christ as our husband and as our Lord and Savior we love you Father may your blessings be upon us may your blessings go with us and may each one of us Lord follow you and be joined to you for the rest of our lives in Jesus name amen amen God bless you stick around and join us for the reception